Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Okay. Well, we're in week five of our series, Rooted. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, week five of this series, as you're turning there, all living things grow is what we've been saying. And so what we want to do is understand the more we're connected to Jesus, the more we will grow in him. And so Rooted is this series where we're really focused on that growth and, and the scriptures that emphasize the growth of the gospel in our lives and what the gospel growth creates within our lives and through our lives. And so as you're turning there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, we're going to look at, at verse 6 through 15 today if we get through all of it today. Before we get there, let me say, as we come to this text, um, it's speaking to a part of our lives that um, at, at times may not have been received well. Although I'm not ashamed or I'm not nervous to talk or speak about this topic, I recognize, I understand that there is a, a need here to be clear, to be gentle, to be kind, to be understanding in this area, because I know some have been deceived, some have been hurt, some have been misled when it comes to giving and religion. My hope, my hope, and here's the principle today in our series Rooted, is that we'll be rooted in generosity. And my hope is that we will be able to see that this discussion and this text and this talk is not just to talk about currency or finances or money, but this is a talk about generosity. That this is a, a place where Paul is going to help focus us on generosity. Now, yes, generosity in, in a particular area of finances, for sure, but also in our time, in our resources, in our talents, all of those areas, every area of our life where we give out and give back that we would be generous. So this isn't just one-sided or singular focus. It's actually multi-layered. There's, there's multiple facets to this idea of being generous as God is generous to us. And so I don't want you to immediately, as you open your Bible to that text and start to read and push back because you've had you know, previous bad experiences. Let me say this as well. Let me say this to our church family. A faithful church that continues to give above and beyond, repeatedly, consistently gives above and beyond to show, to represent, to example, to model God's generosity in our own life. I am beyond grateful and honored to be a part of a church that has taken on this, this principle of being generous as God is generous to do, has, has taken on this, this characteristic of being generous as God is generous to us, to reflect the generosity of God. And so I don't come to this text, and we didn't choose this text because we feel like we're lacking in that area. So please hear me. This is not because I think we're missing or we're, we're not living up to where God has us in, in our level of generosity, but rather that we would dig deeper, root deeper into the, the principle, the biblical principle of generosity, understanding the grace and the good works of God working in us and through us in generous ways for his glory, not ours. 
And so let me, again, say thank you to our church. You have consistently, repeatedly shown through the years a generous heart to see the work of God move through our church into our community and beyond, Costa Rica being one of them. So thank you. Now, as we get into this text, we have a biblical understanding of why we give. Let's look at what Paul has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 to start. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what I want to start with, that last part. I want to start at the end of that second verse there. Paul says something extraordinary, doesn't he? God loves a cheerful giver. Paul's emphasizing God delights in those who delight to give to him. It's an amazing assertion when you think about it. The the creator of all things, the God of the universe, takes a special pleasure, has a special joy in, receives great delight in our cheerful giving. When we have a cheerful attitude, we have a cheerful heart. So Paul invites them to give to the church. He invites them to do this because they have purposed to do this in their own hearts, in their own minds. He wants them to do this not because they feel compelled by him to do it. Like, like he doesn't want them to say, oh, we've got to do this because Paul asked us to. He doesn't want them to do it grudgingly either. He wants them to do it cheerfully, delighting that they have the opportunity to give. Now, let me be very clear as well. The reason we give is not because God needs us to give, right? I mean, we understand the scripture teaches us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. One of the things that we're going to learn, I think, is this, that if we don't give, it's not God's kingdom that falls apart. May we recognize that. May we understand that from the historical movement of the gospel, from this time of Paul outward. It's never stopped. Nothing's ever stopped it. And us not giving has not stopped the gospel from moving forward. It's not God that misses the blessing. We miss the blessing when we don't give. Because God is going to do his work with us or without us. And here's here's a big point. The only question is, do we get the privilege of being a part of it? God invites us into that. And, And again, this is giving in all areas. This isn't just money or currency. This is our time. This is our our resources that we may have acquired. This is our talents that God's blessed us with, that He knit within us in our in the womb, right, when he made us. So, so Paul's concern is not, well, if the, if the Corinthians don't give, then the Christian church is go, isn't going to keep going. The mission isn't going to keep going. Now, Paul's concern is that the Corinthian Christians give rightly, that they give for the right reasons, that, that they give with the right attitude. And so he's emphasizing to them to give joyfully, energetically, cheerfully. That's rooted. Be rooted in that generous heart. Be rooted in generosity. Have a heart attitude that reflects the generosity that we've received from God. Let me give us a few takeaways before we move on. First one is this. Giving is joy-filled when we realize we're giving to God. Giving's joy-filled, we realize we're giving to God. There's a beautiful example of this in Jesus' own ministry in Matthew 26, also recorded in Luke 7. In fact, we're going to sing a song about it at the end of our time together. 
Jesus has just gotten to Bethany. He's, you know, he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem for the last hours of his life. And a woman who is this notorious sinner to all the people that are there in that area comes and she pours this expensive perfume on his feet. She just pours it out, right? And one of the disciples says, that was a waste, right? What a waste. We could have taken that perfume and sold it and given the money to the poor. But Jesus says, the poor are always going to be with you, but I am not going to always be with you. And this was a gift poured out on me. What, they, what the disciples didn't realize is that but there was a real sense that this woman was anointing him for his death that was going to happen very soon on behalf of all his people. And then Jesus says, I want to tell you that wherever the gospel goes throughout the world, what this woman has done is going to go with it. We're talking about it right now, 2,000 plus years later. This woman's expensive gift to me is going to be remembered wherever the gospel goes. Now, now contextualize, like bring that forward to, you, to us. When we give, we're giving to God to take the gospel forward so that generations from now, what we've done that, and what we've given and what we've been generous in, others are, are experiencing that gift through the gospel, through grace, through salvation. And when we realize that our gift is to Jesus, not just some project or budget or, or it's our gift of time is not just to a team or a classroom or a group, when we realize that our gift as we give it is for Jesus, is giving to God, produces in us joy. When we give as Christians, we're giving to Christ. The one who had everything, and yet he gave it for us, right? That we may share in everything with him. So when we give, we're giving to him, and it produces joy. When we realize that, I believe when we realize that, it becomes a delight. I think it switches. Like we're giving to a savior of our souls. We're giving to the Lord of our lives. We're not simply giving to a church. We're giving to God. Second thing. Giving is joy-filled when we view it as worship. It's joy-filled when we view it as worship. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 5 and 6. He talks about people who serve mammon or, or stuff or things, right, rather than God. And he says you can't serve, you can't worship stuff and God. So when we give, what we're saying is, is, is Lord, by your grace you saved me from worshiping stuff. That is going to pass away, right? You caused me to love you, and you're going to last forever, and, and our relationship is going to last forever. And I, I could have been out there worshiping this stuff, which isn't going to last forever, but by your mercy, you saved me. It's an act of worship. It's a, again, it's a change of perspective, right? That we now see money or stuff, those things, not, not as gods, but as a tool, as a tool to be used to glorify God, the giver. And so in our giving, we actually are saying, God, I understand that you own everything, and everything that I have comes from you. And my giving back to you is but a token, right? That you've set me free from the worship of other things, that I may worship you. All that other stuff is going to pass away, but I'm going to worship the one who saved me and lasts forever. And so by 
our giving as an act of worship. It's a celebration that God has set us free. God set us free from the slavery to those things that would bond and hold us, that we pursue the end in, in ultimately nothing because they expire. Everything has that expiration date, right? Even because we understand by, you know, even living today, even if those, even the Christians as, as disciples walking, right? We understand even as we've been washed by the blood of Christ, how the world works against us and into us. And sometimes we find ourselves looking for that satisfaction in the places we shouldn't find. And it makes us tempted to find our treasure in something other than Jesus. And so when we give, it is an act of worship saying, thank you, it's a celebration. Here's a third thing. Giving is joy-filled when we realize that in giving we are acting like Jesus. One of the things that we long for in our Christian life is to be more like Jesus. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this. In fact, it's why we do all of our series. <laughs> is that you and I might be transformed by the teaching and the learning of God's Word, by the power and the Spirit in God's Word to move and transform us inside to outside, that it, we all might become more like Jesus. That was the promise of God in coming and becoming a Christian. That is the trajectory of a Christian. And so if you got on this path with Jesus and you don't want to be like Jesus, then you're on the wrong path. But when we give, it's, it's us having a moment where we're acting like Jesus, right? It's the greatest compliment that you can receive from someone else. It's, I see Jesus in you. We love Jesus, right? We see his grace at work in our lives, throughout our lives. We see areas that we're growing, but we also have those areas we fall short and we're not like Jesus. And we're painfully aware of those particular areas. But when we give... We get to follow his example. We get to emulate Jesus. We get to act like Jesus. In fact, the chapter before, the one that we're looking at in this text, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, verse 9, Paul says this about Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. See, when we give, we're modeling that too. As he's done for us. So when we give, we get to act like Jesus. Don't take that for granted. We never take that for granted. Don't, underest don't underestimate the blessing of that. The blessing of being able to be like Jesus. Sacrificial giving. Especially because he who had everything gave everything. That he who had nothing might share everything with him. Okay, I think you maybe have... There's more reasons that giving is joy-filled, but hopefully you start to get the point because I want to get back to our text. That we would understand that giving is better than receiving, right? Someone really, really powerful and famous taught that. Back in verse 6, we see this principle, sowing, reaping, sparingly, bountifully. The fact that a person reaps what he or she sows is thoroughly a biblical principle taught throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to give you three little quick, very quick things about the principle of sowing and reaping, more about the reaping from what we sow, because we're always sowing something. But I don't want to do it from the position and the perspective of, of currency. I want to do it from our flesh. We reap what you sow. So let me explain that. So if you sow in the flesh, meaning you sow corruption and you sow anger and you sow bitterness and jealousy and those things that are 
against the nature of God, against the character of God. You, you reap what you sow. If you sow in the flesh, you're going to reap in the flesh. If you sow in the Spirit, you're going to reap in the Spirit. If you sow in the, in the gifts of the Spirit, Galatians 5, right? Kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you sow in those, you're going to reap in those. There isn't a crossover is the point. Like you can't sow in the flesh and reap in the Spirit. There isn't a crossover. Secondly, you reap more than you sow. The return is always more than the investment. If, it, if, you're re, if you're sowing in the Spirit, it's a glorious reaping in the Spirit. But if you're sowing in the flesh, it is a tragic reaping in the flesh. And you reap after you sow. There comes a harvest. There's coming a harvest. We live in an instant gratification society where we want it now. Well, that isn't, no farmer went out and put a seed in the ground and went back out an hour later expecting it to be fully, you know, fully grown and being able to harvest. So for us to be reminded, again, there comes a harvest. It's not instant. And that can be dangerous, right? If we're sowing in the Spirit and we're not seeing the harvest of that, we can sometimes lose hope. For example, if I'm sowing prayer for a family member over and over and over, and I'm just praying and praying, God, reveal yourself, show yourself, woo them home, invite them in. God, be a part of their lives. If I'm praying and praying and I don't see it immediately or it doesn't happen, I can start to lose hope. But there's a harvest coming. The same is true on the other side. If I am sowing in the flesh and I keep putting the things of the world and the, and the things that are outside of the nature and the character of God, things outside of the design that God has for my life, and I continue to sow that within my life and through my life. But, but the, the danger is, is that if I'm not immediately judged upon that, I'm not, not immediately convicted upon that, and I just continue to, to, to do that, and I'm not, not really, I'm, I'm starting to deceive myself that there's not a harvest, that it won't matter, no one's, no, no one, all that. No one's not going to know because it's not happening immediately. Sometimes I think that if God would just convict us immediately upon our sin and our failure and our falling short, that we would, this would be a lot easier, right? But there's a harvest coming. And that harvest of sowing in the flesh, it's coming and it's dangerous because we could just take it for granted that it's not going to happen and we become careless and it gets worse and worse. But there is a payday coming, so don't be deceived or lose hope. Now, Back to this text again. And there's so much here. Giving bountifully means giving from a heart that wants to share things. Sometimes something's happening, happened in the heart, right? A heart that, that has this now basic desire to give and to share as much as possible. Instead of keeping as much as possible, it's almost like there was a magnet and it got switched around where, where it used to be we're trying to just bring everything into ourselves. Now it's, it's turned and it's wanting to just take everything and push it out towards others. That is a cheerful giver. That is what a cheerful giver looks like, right? That is a person who's rooted in generosity within their lives. They are sowing bountifully so that they may reap bountifully. So let me ask a question. Do you see God as a taker or as a giver? Do you see God as a taker or as a giver? Where you land on that answer may speak to how you understand giving and generosity. If he is seen as a taker, you may work out the principle of reaping and sowing sparingly. If he's seen as a giver, then you may work out that principle of reaping and sowing bountifully. 
What makes the difference then between the sparing giver and the bountiful giver is their relation then to God. How do you see God? For one, he is a taker. For the other, he is a giver. The one that feels, the one that, feels that if God is draining me because he's a taker, then, then what joy can I have if I don't drain the world? If God's taken from me, then I'm going to take from others. You see how it progresses, how we project that out. But the other person described in the text, the flow goes all the other direction, right? God is the great giver, flowing in and ever-replenishing blessing and grace and hope. And so that person feels, you know, when he or she looks at the needs of, of those around them, is they're free. They have this internal impulse to give and to share. That impulse is called grace. It's called love. I love what Pastor John Piper said. He says, love is simply vertical grace, grace with us that we've received vertically with God bent outward towards other people love is simply vertical grace bent outward towards other people verse 7 Paul speaks to how much like where's that at look at what he says each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion let me quickly address what he says Giving is to be an individual matter that's settled in the privacy of your own heart. Now, if you're married or you're you know, in that relationship, then it's something you should have that conversation. But that is for you. Paul makes that very clear. Each, Paul says, should give what he or she decided in his or her heart to give. Each is placed first for emphasis. How much is a question that each person must answer for themselves. But I'll give you two things about that. However much you decide, whatever it is. Remember what we just talked about? Jesus talks about the woman who all she had was the perfume, right? So it could be big or it could be small. Whatever it is, here's two things that should be true about our motives that comes from that text. First of all, it shouldn't be motivated by sad feelings. The word reluctantly refers to sad or distressed giving in contrast to cheerful giving. Whatever you give should not be motivated by negative feelings. Secondly, it shouldn't be motivated by external pressure. It shouldn't be motivated by, by someone standing up here, by other people within the church. It shouldn't be motivated by that. It shouldn't be motivated by that external pressure. God doesn't want you or us or any of us to give out of guilt or pressure. Okay? So back to what I was asking. How do you see God? Paul knew that was the foundation. Paul knew that this is where the, the rooting really needs to be. We need to settle this. Where, where are you looking at God? Do you see him as giver or taker? And so the rest of our text, Paul is going to help us see God and know God is a giver and not a taker. Look at verses 8 through 10. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written... He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now I want to work you through these and how they connect together, all right? So verse 8 talks about God's giving on the backside of our giving. And, and what I mean by that is God gives first, right? God gives first that he enables us to give. You, you could read it like this, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance or, or make all grace abound to you so that 
you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. So here he says that God wants to be known as a bountiful God. He is able to give us whatever we need in order to be generous. He is a giver, not a taker. Now, then he moves to verse 9, which picks up an image that Paul used back in verse 6. In verse 6, he said, if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully, right? Now, in verse 9, he gives an illustration, which is taken from Psalm 112, verse 9, of a person who sows seed bountifully, right? He says, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So the sowing of seed in verse 6 and the scattering of the seed that we see here in verse 9, which comes from Psalm 112, is the free and generous giving to help to meet the needs of other people. And again, that's not just currency. It may be, it may be your time stopping on the side of the road to help someone change a tire when you know that you need to be somewhere. It may be your, your presence with somebody, not even really speaking words, but just your presence there. It might be your talents. It might be your skill set that God's gifted you with or given you the, the knowledge to learn the skill set. It might be your, your time on a field or in a room with other... It might all that. It's not just currency here. He says, so in verse 9, is the free and generous giving a help to meet the needs of people. And this generosity is what? It's called righteousness. So in verse 10, he takes the Old Testament quote from verse 9, and he brings it out in relation to God. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What does that mean? Well, righteousness in verse 9 is the generous scattering of seed to those in need. The harvest of righteousness is probably what grows up as a result of that scattering. Sowing bountifully, right? In other words, God will increase the harvest of our righteousness means the same as he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Who's in control of all this? God. Generosity then, bowing, uh, bountiful sowing is righteousness. That's generosity. Bountiful reaping is the increased harvest of this righteousness. So the point of verse 10, the point of verse 10 really isn't to talk about how much you and I give or don't give. The point of verse 10, and really the point of all Scripture is where is God and what do we understand about God here? The point of verse 10 is to see God is a giver. He's not a taker. But he's a giver on both sides of our giving. He gives so that we may give, and what we give, he multiplies and grows. He's involved in all of it. So he gives the seed before we give so that we can sow it, Generously, And he gives a harvest after we give it so that we are rewarded for our generosity. So the great truth of this text is that God wants to be known and he wants to be trusted and he wants to be loved as the giver, not the taker in his whole practice of giving. Look at verses 11 through 14 as we finish up. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many Thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So what's, all, what's, that, what's the righteous harvest mean? 
Here's a couple takeaways. In verse 11, the first aspect of the harvest is an even greater ability to be generous. The more you give, the more you'll be able to give. And if it truly is more blessed to give than to receive, and you know this principle, even outside of the biblical principle taught to us by Jesus, you've experienced this. For example, my birthday, which is a couple of months ago, my children, my daughters, got me a gift card. Now, they give me a gift card, right? I receive a gift card. I have a gift card. But I could have got the gift card myself. I have adult money. I could buy my own gift card. Right? But when they gave it to me, it was the act of them giving it the act of their sacrifice and giving it that transforms me, not the actual amount of the gift or the gift itself. You know that. That's why we're always looking for the best gift to give to other people because we love to see their face when they receive what we've given. So you don't need Jesus to teach you this, although he does, or Paul. We understand this. So if it's more blessed to give than to receive, you can see the harvest of joy this will mean. The greater we exercise the principle of generosity, the principle of being a funnel and not a cup, the more God fills the funnel for us to share and pour out onto others for his glory and the good of all people. And so verse 11 says, God gets glory when his people give generously. And we say, well, why? Doesn't the giver get the glory? Exactly. Who's the giver? Big G, right? Capital G giver. God's the giver. The giver gets the glory. We shouldn't want the glory. We should want them to roll that glory up to God. We were the vessel that God used that he may be glorified. And the people who so bountifully display most vividly that their God is an inexhaustible giver. That's what Paul's trying to tell the church in Corinth here. But as you give, this is what's happening. They're giving thanksgiving. Verse 12, the third aspect of the harvest is the joy of seeing the needs of God's people met. Which again produces what? Glory and thanksgiving. Not to them, but to God. Everything in our lives, everything that we do, giving of money and time and talent, all that shouldn't be so that we are applauded and, and placed on platforms and on pedestals or and worshipped. It should be so that they would turn their praise up and roll it back up to the giver of those things who gave it to you to be the vessel and the funnel so that others may experience or have and, and, meet, and meet needs so that they may thank God for his work. Be used by God for his glory. Isn't that our mantra, right? That's, that should be our, that's our operational mode. Come on. And in verses 13 and 14, again, we look at what our obedience, our submission, our service in the name of Jesus is causing in the lives of others. It causes them to glorify God. Growing in Christian love towards one another because what? They see the grace of Jesus in us. Can you imagine the unity an empowered work of God through his people when they're expressing godly generosity and how we live and walk out our lives. We get to experience that as a church because you guys live out this principle every single week. And there is so much more that you guys do that I'm sure that we don't even know about just because that's who you are as a follower of Christ. 
And so we continue to root ourselves into that. And let's get to the last verse, and I'm going to be done. The best part, right? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, I will say, there's some debate. There is some debate as to Paul's full meaning of this last verse. A lot of scholars and commentators and pastors, they just, there's some debate on this. I simply believe that everything Paul just taught us, everything, Paul that just, well, everything he just showed us and shared with us comes from a fundamental, foundational truth in our faith, Jesus Christ. All of our giving, everything that we give, Everything, money, time, resources, talents, all of it comes from him, is given for him so that others may come to him. It's foundational. Listen, we, we know this principle in Scripture, and maybe you need to hear it as I needed to hear it again this week. We can never outgive what God has given us in his Son. We can never outgive what God has given us. He gave his only Son for us. We can never outgive that, but may this be our motivation to try. May we keep trying. We know we can't, but let's keep trying. May we root ourselves in generosity. Let's pray. Father, God, I'm so grateful that this principle of being generous as you're generous to us is reflected within our church. I'm grateful for those who continue to grow in the area of being generous, not just with their finances, but with their time, with their talents. God, as we have new people sign up to volunteer and share their gifts of leading and teaching and, and coaching and, and, and just being a part of someone's moment of tragic or, or circumstance, just being a prayer partner, just being all the people that sign up and serve and utilize the gifts and the talents that you've given them. God, I'm so grateful for a church who understands that it takes all of us being generous in our time and our talents and our resources to see the gospel advance as we desire to see it, as you desire to see it. We know that if we, don't, if we stop doing it, it'll still, still keep going. But may we understand today that if we stop being a part of it, we miss the blessing. We miss the privilege of being a part of what you're doing, which lasts forever. So God, help us to see a little more clear today. For those that are in an area that are just struggling here, God, give them clarity. Give them a promise of hope that you're present with them. You're not unaware of where they're at circumstantially. You're with them and you can lead and guide them. God, may we continue to be generous for your glory and the good of others. May this church be known to a community in a, in a, in a city, in an area, as a generous church. God, may we be a funnel Keep pouring out on us as we pour out on the others. Use us to be a conduit of your grace and your resources into those lives that need it. God, may we model what this notorious sinner woman did. She gave the most precious thing that she had. She anointed the feet of Christ. God, may we follow that example. And we not hold anything back that you're calling us and leading us to give. And may we give it with a joy, knowing that it will be used to change lives for eternity. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus in his name. Amen.